Hello and welcome to the December DCM podcast. My name's Tom Lanay. We've made it to December. Christmas is in just five short days. And uh, joining me today is Alex Crawford, who's film booking manager at Odeon. Hello, Alex. Hey, Tom. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. I'm actually um, a lot tenser than I was 10 minutes ago because Alex has told me he's got all his Christmas shopping done. It's all done. And I have done none all of All wrapped. <laughs> oh, this just makes it even yeah. worse. Luckily, we are in uh, the centre of London. We're on London's Haymarket, Odeon's offices. And there's plenty of shops nearby. Yeah, so you can't go wrong. I'm probably going to buy my family Planet Hollywood vouchers. Well, why and, not? <laughs> as I said, Alex is film booking manager at Odeon. That's the correct job title, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Can you just give me a short summary of what your job entails? Yeah, so basically I um, help to run a team of film programmers. So we look at all of the different um, movies that are released each year, where we want to play them in, which of our cinemas, negotiate that with the distributors try and work out how much we think, uh, how much demand there'll be, so kind of forecasting interest levels and business levels on the films, and then kind of try and programme accordingly to that, and uh, all the way through trying to make sure that we're um, doing the right thing for our business, trying to get as many good films in front of as many people as we can, and trying to make sure that we maintain good relationships with all the suppliers so we don't run into any issues later on. How many films do you think you see a year? Uh, actually, I can tell you this year so far, so in 2016, um, I have so far seen 210 cinematic releases for this year. So that doesn't include like um, rewatches or things that, and I, I, do, I, I can only count it by release date. So some of those I saw last year, but I've already seen 30 for next year. Do you year. keep a, a log? Do you have a letterbox account? I have or a something? spreadsheet, oh, okay. um, which uh, enables me to sort them by where I saw them, who I saw them with when I saw them, what my initial thoughts of the films were. It's quite a nice little spreadsheet, colour-coded. And have you got this going back a number of years? Yeah, I've got it going back to 2013. I tried to go back and do it a little bit for 2012 and, and earlier than that, but I couldn't remember who I saw stuff with, and I want it to all interact. So it's a, <laughs> it's a 2013 onwards spreadsheet, have so you told from the age of 33. Have you told anyone this before? Oh, yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have people who actually want to be able to view it online so they can make sure I'm not misrepresenting where they were at any specific time. If I say they were with me at a, at a film and they weren't, then they want to be able to argue that. So hopefully you've got... Uh, well, the listeners have got an idea that you are a good person to speak to about... 2016 as a whole sure. in cinema and looking ahead to 2017 which conveniently is the subject of this podcast it's almost like it came together as a as a cunning plan it's as, almost as if some yeah. thought has gone into it before we get on to the best films um of the year yeah. rogue one a star wars story is was out on friday on thursday yeah uh opened with the biggest weekend of the year not yeah. the biggest friday sunday but the biggest weekend of the year were you a fan i was yeah i was um so I did the same thing as I did for Force Awakens, which was avoid the multimedias and the premieres and any assorted screenings before release. And I went to the cinema we manage, the BFI IMAX, for the first screening, minute past midnight, um, sat there, same seat as was I was packed? for Force Awakens, completely full, everybody in costume. We actually had a, a little um, competition between me and my friend, uh, Katie, we tried to guess whether or not there were more men with or without beards. <laughs> uh, I think with beards won, uh, just. Um, but yeah, I thought the film was great. It, I could, it, it's very kind of different tonally, I think, to some of the earlier Star Wars films, just in terms of the characters are 
very different sort of characters than we've seen in in the Star Wars universe before. But I thought the film was great. The action sequences are brilliant. It's very very exciting. The acting is very good. There's real comedy from a couple of the characters yeah, as well, yeah. which feels earned. It's not like you know Jar Jar being stripping himself over in a river or anything like or that. Or getting his tongue stuck getting in, his a, tongue in stuck an engine. <laughs> um, yeah, I really liked it. I'm going to go and see it again. I saw Force Awakens twice at the cinema. I think I might see this one three times. I, I think I'm going to see it three times yeah. as well. I, I really, I, I did really like it. I've got a, I've got a huge amount of love and respect for Felicity Jones. Have done ever since Chalet Girl. Um, it's great to see. <laughs> she's her, good kind in this of. as well. She is really. I think good. she is better than the t- trailer let on. Yeah, I think so too. And it's a different role because normally she's incredibly likable and incredibly sympathetic from the start. But this is a slightly different character. She's, she's quite hard she's quite closed off you don't really get to see a great deal of who she is but she's still kind of charismatic enough to take you on the journey with her i thought she was great i thought riz ahmed was great as well he's always great Great to see two um you know young british talents kind of headlining a film like that and i I think the diversity thing with this new star wars universe is fantastic women female leads you know people of color in the key roles just great to see and and yeah the film absolutely delivered for me I was was excited all the way that final hour is all time good Star Wars yeah I agree I agree and um, you know I don't know how I always find it quite difficult to rank things straight away but if you were to ask me which Star Wars film I wanted to see next out of the ones I've already seen I think it'd be Rogue One again so I don't know how it would compare necessarily to the kind of the high points of the original trilogy but the thing actually that I thought both this and Force Awakens did compared to the original trilogy is they don't have the down times so I think like when I rewatch Empire Strikes Back I actually find the bits on Dagobah with Yoda teaching him to lift a, sh- a ship out of the swamp I find that a bit quite boring now but Force Awakens I don't think really has any of those bits I think it's just really exciting all the way through and I think the same's the truth for Rogue One so I think they've actually as films they'll never be I don't think they'll ever to people of my age in my mid 30s be quite as important as the originals were but they're probably making better films i think than the originals were and i think it's great to see that they're finding an audience as well and it does offer something slightly different this yeah. one especially in a blockbuster landscape yeah for sure where there is doesn't especially with certain blockbusters there doesn't feel to be huge consequences it's quite weightless this is the opposite of that. i agree and in a year where well we'll talk about it i think it's been a great year for cinephiles and for people who love going to the cinema to see great films it's not necessarily been a year where the blockbusters have delivered great entertainment this is without a doubt in my mind the best blockbuster of the year oh yeah without doubt without the best doubt. and i think if you like star wars and new hope then you should have an interest in seeing this because it is they're so intrinsically yeah, linked true oh, well, my mum i rang my mum on um sunday because just to ask her when she wanted me to get her tickets to see it and um she said oh I'll wait until you're back. I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, and she was like, what's the actual story? I was like, it's basically the, the, the crawl from the start of episode four. That's the plot. And to have expanded what was, you know, a kind of an afterthought, I think, on the original Star Wars into this kind of really thrilling film um, is really impressive. And I said to one of my colleagues after we saw that, after we had our kind of everybody seen the film now so we can talk about it in the office moment, which was that there's, you take any 30 minutes from Rogue One and it's better than any 30 minute mashup of all the best bits from the three prequels it is without without, doubt without, without any any 30 minutes of it are more exciting and better than even all the fights just sewn together from the prequels and it makes Star Wars A New Hope better yeah I agree I agree I think it's um, 
I think it's a very, very impressive film. There's a couple of things that I can understand why people are a little bit... I don't want to talk about them because they're quite spoilery. Yeah. But I, I understand the, the two thi- or the one thing that people have had kind of an issue with. I understand why. It didn't really bother me that much, but I understand why. Me neither. Yeah, the, and shout out to the great Alan Tudyk, who um, you know manages to almost equal his kind of performance in Firefly. That guy should only ever be allowed to be on spaceships in films because he's... Uh, He's great in this as well. Uh, but sadly, he won't be in another yeah. Firefly yeah. film. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, a shame. But anyway, shame. Uh, if you haven't seen Serenity, watch Serenity yeah, as definitely. well. And so talking about 2016 as a whole, obviously you've seen 216 films, is it? 210. 210 films. Can you sum up the year in a few well-chosen sentences? Yeah, I think it's been a great year. Um, it's a difficult one to kind of contextualise a year sometimes. If you see a lot of things at festivals, which I'm lucky enough to do, it's difficult sometimes off the top of your head to remember what's in what year, but it's been, for me, it's been a great year for thoughtful American films, and uh, I would pick out four or five uh, examples of that, which would be Arrival, uh, Patterson, Creed, um, would be the three most obvious ones, but also something like a Hell or High Water, so and Little Men. So five, there's five really great American thoughtful films across different genres and everything else. It's also been, I think, a great year for foreign language films. So I loved um, Mia Hansen Loves Things to Come, which I thought was just a beautiful film about uh, the difficulties of getting older in a society that wants everything easier and quicker. Um, And I also loved a pair of really, really, really crazy Korean movies, Train to Busan. And The Wailing. And The Wailing, both of which just are genre cinema the way it's supposed to be done and kind of the 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 high point in this century even of genre films is The Host by Bong Joon-ho and those two films kind of play really close homage to that and um, yeah I think it's been a really really strong year and I think that you've you've named at least six of my top 15 that's good yeah that's good I I totally agree I I think start of the year Creed was a massive surprise for me I absolutely I mean, it's a good place to start. It came out on January 15th. It did, yeah. And I still think it's probably my favourite American film of the year. It's my favourite film of the year, I think. I saw it quite... uh, I saw it sort of over a year ago now. The first time I saw it, I've seen it three or four times. I think it's... It's very easy to forget how great Rocky was the first time you saw it because the sequels, while they're still very entertaining, have been very different sorts of films. They've been more kind of consciously just ticking the boxes what everyone wants to see Creed to me was I think it's better than the first Rocky in as much as I think it speaks a little bit more about a um, society that's maybe more relevant to a modern audience but it, to me what it did better than anything else was it it just delivered on the genre level so you can kind of watch that film and see the depth in Michael B. Jordan's performance and how incredible it is for a film like that to make the character that in most films would just be written as being a beautiful woman as a love interest to have her own character arc and her own um, kind of struggle and everything else and she played brilliantly by Tessa Thompson. And, and what amazed me was they have her creating music in the film and the music's good. Yeah. I was yeah, just exactly. like, oh, exactly. how many times do you yeah, see yeah. people like play, they yeah. play music in a film and You're it's You always bad. kind of worry it's going to be like Ross in Friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah it's, uh, and even down to the uh, to me the the Saddest thing in cinema this year was 
Stallone not winning the Oscar. I mean, I love Mark Rylance. I think Mark he's Rylance is going to win another one, though. Isn't but he, he is going to—he's going to be in every Steven Spielberg between that film between now and the end of time, and he will probably get another opportunity. For me, the like I thought Michael B. Jordan was incredible, but the performance by Sylvester Stallone in Creed is just so nakedly human and vulnerable and, and not what powerful. you expect from Stallone. And it's the film just it. it it's funny and it's exciting and the boxing scenes are really really beautifully shot i mean the the um the one cinematography one. Yeah, yeah. in the fight yeah where he fights um uh i can never remember the boxer's name but he fights a real life boxer and the cinematography by a, a french lady called maurice albert is just unbelievable and then the final fight scene gives you everything that you want like and lump in the throat, hairs on the back of your neck standing out. And I still didn't know how it was going to No, and you up. don't know. And, and you know, credit as well to Tony Bellew. I'm a big boxing fan too, which helps. And uh, when I heard Tony Bellew was going to be in a film, I was I was a bit worried because, you know, he's, you know, you wondered what kind of depth or anything he could bring to it. But, he yeah, he's a great kind of counterpoint for the film because he's menacing and big and hulking and huge. And, yeah, it's two hours and 15 minutes of just sheer cinematic joy for me. And Ryan Coogler is now going on to direct Black Panther, yeah, and the I'm, Marvel film, which makes it, for me, the most exciting Marvel film on the schedule. Yeah, that and Captain Marvel, to me, because they're the two big changes from what Marvel have done before. If you'd ask me, and I'd still say the same, it makes Black Panther much, much more exciting, but I'm a bit sorry that he's not going to be doing Creed 2 straight away, because I want to see what happens next. And He's a really talented filmmaker. I mean, I think the guy's in his mid-30s. He made one film um, before called Fruitvale Station with Michael B. Jordan as well, which is a brilliant movie. Um, he's an immense talent. And, you know, we talked, I think um, last year, obviously, we had, or earlier this year, we had the cons- the controversy of Oscars being the Oscars being so white. And oftentimes I think that those things are um, easy to kind of brush away and say, well, maybe the films for a black audience weren't kind of as universal to appeal to you know, 75-year-old white men who make up the majority of the Academy's audience. But Creed should have been that film, so I, I get it this year. Like Michael B. Jordan should have been nominated. Ryan Coogler should have been nominated. Tessa Thompson should have Tessa been nominated. Tessa Thompson should have been nominated. But, and, and the film is... It's an it's a archetypal Hollywood crowd-pleaser with brains and heart, and it should, have, it, should have done, it should have done better at the box office than yeah. it did as well. I'm not ashamed to say there was one time this year when I punched the air in a film. Yeah, me too. And that was during the montage where the guys are doing the wheelies yeah, behind yeah. him and he's running up the street. Yeah, I remember I watched, I went to the premiere of the film at um, the Empire, uh, now the Cineworld Leicester Square, and I was starstruck because normally at a premiere it's film people and you know, you kind of get used to sitting four rows away from Stanley Tucci. And the third time that happens, it's like, oh, Stanley Tucci, we're almost <laughs> friends now. But um, for Creed, uh, we were sat directly in front of a row of people like Carl Froch and the McDonald twins and all these kind of great boxers. And during the, the, the final fight scene, there's a bit where Carl Froch just shouted, like a, a shout whisper under his breath, go on, Creed. And I was like, that was my. That was probably my movie-going moment of the year. I think. Warner Brothers should have put that on the poster. They should have done. Go on, Creed. Have done. Go Carl on, Creed. Carl Frotch. Uh, and you also mentioned Arrival, which I would have in one in, in yeah. my top ten of the year. I think just, that's the best sci-fi film of the year. I agree. Uh, just a beautiful film. I'm not a huge. I'm not a hugely um, open guy to new sci-fi. Always. Um, 
but what a what a film to have as a calling card for Danny Villeneuve before Blade Runner, and what a just an unbelievable performance from Amy Adams again. She's if any, it's bizarre to think that she's been an actress, a movie actress now for twelve years. She's been Oscar nominated five times, and she's still underrated because it's <laughs> there's an outside chance she won't get a nomination for Arrival, and I think it's just an incredible performance. She's, she's, she's never bad. She's never bad. She takes brave choices. She leads films and plays characters where she's not afraid to be unlikable or um, reserved or anything like that. And yeah, it's a beautiful film. It it reduced me to tears both times I saw it. And yeah, I I think it deserves to be one of the kind of front runners for the awards. I'm not sure if it's going to get that positioning, but to me, I thought it was a really, really clever beautiful film it talks a lot about the kind of the vocabulary and language of film as well so it, it, I think it's a film that would work for an audience that wants a kind of a a night where they can just go to the cinema and watch something exciting but it's also a, a, a great film for an audience that wants to go and have questions asked of it and yeah and it actually did expand my mind just a yeah. little it made yeah, me, me think too. slightly differently me about too. the way we communicate and that you can't really give it higher praise than that I don't no, think I don't think so and Denis Villeneuve is obviously directing Blade Runner 2049 yep. next year, which when it was first announced, probably uh, people were a little bit uh, suspicious, not suspicious, but circumspect towards yeah. it. I don't think anyone is Well, I think the anymore. interesting thing for me is that I think his films have got progressed. I think he's a great stylish director. I think that's been evident from his earliest films, the things like Anson D and, and things like that. But... If you think of his Hollywood films as being the progression from Prisoners to Sicario to Arrival, they've got better. I think they've become more tightly directed as well. And the exciting thing for me is that he's got great performances from proper movie stars and all those. So it's been a while since Jeremy Renner was stretched, but I think he's stretched a little bit in Arrival and he's really good. Emily Blunt's sensational in Sicario. And obviously he got great performances out of Jackman and everybody everybody gets a great performance from Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a brilliant actor, but... He did get great performances from those guys in Prisoners too. So. And the first teaser came out for Blade Runner yesterday. Yeah, and Roger Deakins is shooting it. It looks beautiful. I already. mean, that's that's to me. I, I I'm probably one of the people for whom a Blade Runner sequel isn't massively exciting because I've never quite managed to connect with the original. But I'll watch anything Roger Deakins shoots. Rod, Roger Deakins, Robert Elswit, or Robbie Ryan. And I'm there literally opening day to see that on the biggest screen I can find there artists and magicians and they do incredible things i'm also very glad you mentioned the two korean films we won't dwell on these but no. the uh the whaling and train to busan were yeah. easily the most probably the two times i've been the most tense in a cinema in yeah. the last six months so the whaling i saw in Cannes, and it was a screen where um i felt like i'd missed something from the film <laughs> i came downstairs and spoke to my friend who was there with us and he was sat in a different area of the cinema so it, I said I've got a couple of questions and he was like oh me too we both had exactly the same question of what happened there and neither of us really knew but the film just stayed with me immensely it's directed by a guy called um, Hong Jin Na who did a really 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 sickeningly violent crime film called The Yellow Sea and which, The Chaser and The well. Chaser which, uh, The Yellow Sea really really blew me away with how disgustingly violent it is this is just horribly um, kind of seductively spooky and scary and yeah I thought it was great and Busan to me is the most um, thrilling couple of hours I've had in a 
cinema this Best year. Best zombie so. film for many years. Yeah, I think so. And I, I love a film on a train, generally speaking. I, I came out of it thinking it's always a good way to set a film. But yeah, just really, ex- and that really, a couple of really big surprises in that film, like some character switches, which I didn't see coming. And yeah, just again, you could do a lot worse than try and find a cinema playing that and go and see it in the next couple and of weeks. And oh, Jacob Tremblay got a lot of credit at the start of the year for Room, but the two best child performances I've seen this year are in Train to Busan yeah. and The Wailing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't know what they do to child actors yeah, in, yeah, in Korea. I agree. But um, they, they yeah. give realistic I mean, Jacob Tremblay is great in Room as well, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think those two are pretty much head and shoulders above any, any other child performances I can remember in a long time. In terms of the big films, what have been your standouts? So as I said, actually, for me, probably the one area where um, the year's disappointed slightly has been on the bigger films. So if you kind of look at the films which have taken 20 million quid or more at the box office, I was, without wanting it to be a pun, I was left a little bit cold by The Revenant. Um, a, a beautiful film to look at, um, but I felt like it, I, you know, it just didn't quite resonate with me in the way that I hoped it would. Also, wasn't crazy about Deadpool. Um, personally, uh, it did offer something slightly different. It did offer different, something different, and I got why I get why everyone liked it. I, did, I do get why everyone liked it. I, I like, really liked Zootropolis. Best animation was, of the year, definitely. Uh, actually, not for me. My, my favorite animation of the year was Kubo. Oh, okay, the two yeah. strings, which I loved, but Zootropolis I thought was really, really good. Probably the next big film which really worked for me was Bridget Jones, I think, which. I love a I love a romantic comedy. Love a a, a film with a kind of a strong uh, sense of that kind of uh, almost idealised British sense of community. The the kind of quintessential working title, Richard Curtis movie. I'm there every year for those films. I love them. And uh, it genuinely was laugh out loud. Incredibly about funny. Three, three yeah, or four occasions. you could kind of. I, I think a lot of that is probably down to the rewrite Emma Thompson did on the script because she's obviously an incredibly funny woman. Uh, but I did. I thought that film was was very very entertaining, and everybody was a little bit nervous because it had been so mm. long, and they weren't sure what they were going to get from it, and it just delivered exactly what audiences wanted. I really liked Doctor Strange. It was nice to see a Marvel film where I didn't really have a sense of where they were going to go with it. So a bit like Ant Man the year before, just nice to see a character I'd never even really heard of before in a in a Marvel film. And I really really liked Fantastic Beasts as well, which. Um, you know, <laughs> I have a friend who's um, a little bit allergic to Eddie Redmayne, and so she texted me after I told her I'd seen the film to ask me whether or not she could see it. I was like, no, it's, it, it's full Redmayne. Yeah. Uh, but I actually mean that as a compliment. I think he's great in it. And um, just, I was very, very impressed with, as I have been all the way through with David Yates' films, including Tarzan, which I, I didn't love in general, but the sense of creating a world that he brings to any of those productions is really impressive. And... Yeah, I genuinely believed that this was what 1930s New York would have been like. I, um, I think until Rogue One, it was yeah. probably my favourite of yeah, the really big ones. And then, yeah. That one and um, Star Trek Beyond were probably my two oh, yeah, favourite. I, I, I thought Star Trek Beyond was fine, and I thought um, Jason Bourne was fine. I wanted a little bit more from both of those films, but that's because I quite like the other films in the franchises. Actually, the, the summer movie that I enjoyed the most probably was Central Intelligence. But you put the rock in any film, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to find it entertaining. Next year looks like heaven with um, Baywatch. Baywatch and Fast. Fate of the yeah. Furious. I mean, that's going to be the greatest four-week period in my in my year between <laughs> seeing those two films. I think. 
We won't dwell on the um, worst films of the year, but what was the biggest letdown for you? I think probably um, it's a difficult one to say because, yeah, I'd maybe say Finding Dory. Love Finding Nemo. And if this was an entirely new cat, an entirely new thing and Nemo hadn't existed and I hadn't seen Finding Nemo as somebody who was incredibly special to me, then I would have thought Finding Dory was absolutely fine. You know, solid three and a half, four star movie. But in a similar way with Monsters University, when you go back to a film that's so beloved and so wonderful, there's a kind of a sense of, of you know, afterwards you might feel like it might have made more sense to leave it alone. Um, so that, I mean, I feel hard It wasn't bad, was because it? Because I enjoyed the but film. It, but Nemo that, set the bar yeah, too that, high. That would, and I think possibly as well last year, Inside Out was so great. Yeah. You kind of, again, you think, I mean... It is true that Pixar are probably the only American studio or filmmaking collective for whom a four-star film feels like a disappointment. And I don't think any kid anywhere in the world who is who they're making the films for could have been disappointed by Finding Dory. But from my perspective, just as I said, Nemo holds a very special place in my heart and it made it a little bit difficult to... It only really came alive, I think, when Hank was behind the wheel of the truck. True. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I guess the other one, a little bit, that I would maybe throw out there as being part of the same thing would be the Independence Day sequel, which I didn't, you know, I didn't have high hopes for, but I still thought at least it'll be slightly more fun than than I found it. But you know, but I think I'm agree with you. It's been a it's been a strong year. I mean, yeah. you mentioned Hell or High Water and yeah. um, an Arrival. We've had the, and the Wailing and Train to Busan and Rogue One, and they're films that have been out in the last couple of months. Yeah, and Patterson, I'd throw Patterson right as well. In there yeah, as well, which uh, I'm not a Jim Jarmusch fan, generally speaking, but that that film is just like a tonic in in a cold and wintry world where you just want to find some kind of I don't know gentleness and warmth. I think that film is uh, is a beautiful little kind of uh, imprint to leave on on what's been a, a difficult year for a lot of people, I would say. And moving ahead and looking to 2017, I, I'm sure you've seen a number of the award season films already. I think award season f- next year is stronger than award season was this year. I agree. Yeah. And agree. the the clear favourite for all the awards currently, it might not be the best film, it's still a good film. Is La La Land. Yeah. I think I, I think it's a great film. Yeah. Um, I, it's not my favourite of the films that That's are in what the I mean. it's, it's season, not my favourite either, but I love it is, it. It is yeah, great. It is great, and uh, I loved Whiplash, which is the director, uh, Damien Chazelle's previous movie, and I love this too. And, you know, it, it goes to show that you can be bold and you can be brave, um, and you can do things that maybe people wouldn't normally do. If you've got two people who an audience will like and who have chemistry together it goes a long way to assuaging any of those fears because they are on their own Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are incredibly charismatic movie stars I mean they're great actors as well they're incredibly charismatic movie stars but they have incredible chemistry together and that film lives and dies on that and one thing that I think may stop it from kind of sweeping a lot of the awards is that I thought part of its charm is the kind of fact that it's a musical sung by people without great voices. They can both sing, they can both hold a, a tune, but you wouldn't think that they'd get to judges' houses even in X Factor. <laughs> I mean, I haven't watched X Factor in a long time, but you wouldn't think they would necessarily get to... And not for their dancing either. No, no. But there's, it just totally works for me. But yeah. I think what the way the Academy will vote is the people who, you know, think actually the, the, this 
the quality of those bits should be higher and uh, and ignore kind of the hov- the overall impact of it might stop it from sweeping i think it is i think it's the favorite to win yeah. best film for sure okay. and i i can't remember a film where the camera was so in love with the two stars yeah. and you just feel like they could just they could have just filmed two hours of the two stars yeah, talking. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. E- they look so. It's, they it, look like a different species. Yeah. To us, Alex. <laughs> well, to you and me, maybe. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think. Um, I think that's one of the great things about it is that you know, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling do look slightly different from most people, but you wouldn't necessarily say that they look like magazine models or anything else. They just look like slightly weirdly attractive people, don't they? <laughs> they are. They are. Both of them are, uh, are very, very beautiful people, and they're both very, very talented. And if you look through their kind of high points in each of their careers, they're both incredibly charismatic. They're both, I mean, I, I've loved Emma Stone since Easy A, I think was the first thing I saw in where she really kind of made me notice her. That was the one that broke her out. Yeah, it? and, you know, I just always just want to see her do good things in good films because, you know, she seems like such a nice person. You just want to kind of see her succeed. So La La Land's out on the 12th of January. Do you think that's going to be the biggest film of January? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it, it, at the moment it feels like the awards film which will cross over and break out. I think if you look at the other awards titles in and around January, they're all maybe a little bit more of a challenge than La La Land. Uh, and I think of the commercial, the, the outwardly commercial titles, Sing, Sing may grow slightly more than it, but most of that money will come in February. Yeah, but, um, February I think, Yeah, I think the... Uh, I think the other kind of commercial titles, the triple X's and the um, T two train spotting, T two tra- t- train spotting, yeah, could be right up there too as well. Um, but I think triple X and and Underworld and things like that will be slightly smaller. And looking at the other awards titles, what are the standouts for you? So I would say I think the best of them is Manchester by the Sea, um, which I've seen, I've now seen twice. Um, out the same weekend as La La Land. Out the same well. weekend as La La Land. Um, I think I think Casey Affleck's performance is astonishing. He's going to th- win Best Actor, isn't he? I think so. Denzel never bet against Denzel, but I think I think he's going to win. I think his is the best performance. I think um, I've seen. I think I've seen most of the main contenders now. So I think I think his is the best before. I think he's incredibly good in the film. I just think Kenneth Lonergan, who made the film, is a genius. Um, you know, from You Can Count On Me to Margaret to this. Three absolute, I think, stone-cold masterpieces. And it contains a scene which... Uh, the first time I saw it was at the London Film Festival, and it was in the middle of a lot of other films, and it blew me away, and it, it, it broke my heart a little bit and everything else, but I had to run and go and see something else straight afterwards. So I didn't really have the time. I saw it again. We run a thing Odeon called Odeon Screen Unseen, where we show a film without telling people what it was. Thankfully, I know what it is, so I was able to go and see it knowing what I was in for. <laughs> I went to see it last Monday, and um, yeah, for the last 45 minutes of the film, I could barely catch my breath. I was in so much kind of anguish and torment. It's just. It's devastating. It is devastating, but it, I think the other thing which is really surprising is it's also. I, I think it will probably end up one of the five funniest films of next year because it is genuinely laugh out loud funny. Yep. And, he, and he's got an incredible way with dialogue. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. He yeah. makes you laugh even when the yeah, yeah. situation is desperately sad. And great supporting performances. You'd expect them from Michelle Williams, who's just a genius. The and young guy, Lucas. Lucas Hedges, Hedges is amazing yeah. in it. And, I, you know. 
I'm a big Friday Night Lights fan, so any opportunity to see Kyle Chandler on the big screen, I'll always take. It's great that he's having a career renaissance, yeah, it is. isn't it? It is. From being like Carol's slightly mean husband to Casey Affleck's like oh, loving older brother. What a, what I, a um, I love Manchester by the Sea. I, I, it is actually my second favourite film okay. of next year's awards. Behind? Behind Moonlight. Oh, Moonlight I also love, yeah. So that would be right up there for me too. Moonlight, right I think, is... And, and these three films are really... These are five-star films. Yeah, without a doubt. And Moonlight, I think, is maybe more of a critics film than an Academy film. So I think some of the themes in it about, you know, growing up as a as a kind of young black boy in... Young gay black boy in Florida isn't going to speak to, you know, the 80-year-old white Academy They've got five years so older. Yeah, they've got five <laughs> years older since. Yeah. This podcast's but, been going but, on a yeah, while. Two, two years' time, uh, and there'll be zombies from Train to <laughs> Um Yeah, it's not necessarily going to play as well with them as it is with, uh, you know, the kind of 30, 40-year-old critics that, that are voting on the awards. But it is an essential movie. I think that's the thing about it, is it's essential. And it's just beautifully made. It's gentle and kind of elusive and really gorgeously shot you could have directed you could have filled the best supporting actor category yeah. with five yeah. performances yeah, yeah, from this absolutely film absolutely could yeah 100% and I actually think Mahashala Ali who's he's going to win, he's he's gonna yeah, win yeah. I think I think he's going to win I think Viola Davis is going to win for Fences and it's funny Spring because Fences. Mahershala Ali is incredible but they could have picked any of the characters yeah actually the, and a, uh, it's not a spoiler but the the, fi- the film's kind of split into three time periods in in the in young Chiron's life and the final one sees him kind of meet up with an old school friend called Kevin who in this period is played by Andre Holland and that performance which is basically just he just cooks him a meal that performance stayed with me like almost nothing else just that face is just incredible and it's uh, you, you're talking about um, you almost didn't breathe during Manchester but I see that final 20 minute yeah. scene of Moonlight I barely breathe yeah it's a it's a it's a really beautiful film and it's um yeah, Barry Jenkins has only made, I think, a couple of other films, only one of which I think's ever played in the UK before. Medicine for Melancholy. Medicine for Melancholy. And, yeah, it's a brilliant film. And, and actually, you know, it's not just the guys, because both Naomi Harris and Janelle Monet are also fantastic in it. And Janelle Monet is also really great in Hidden Figures, um, which is another... Uh, actually, that to me is the dark horse to maybe win Best Picture, because it's the only out-and-out crowd-pleaser really in the awards race La La Land is as well but this one is the traditional awards it's the underdog story it's incredibly moving it's incredibly empowering it feels in a world where we've made some steps away from kind of equality and and you know increases in respect for people in minorities like a really kind of call to armsy kind of film it felt when I watched it I thought it was maybe going to be a little bit too formulaic but no it's really powerful really well done and, I haven't um, seen this one I'm really, yeah, it's and it's got Kevin Costner in it Kevin Costner in it and Kevin Cost- 60s Kevin Costner is the best Kevin Costner yeah. we saw it in JFK <laughs> you know, we saw it in 13 days he's at his best when he can play a man slightly um, in a slightly different time um, do you know Monet though her career I mean she's obviously had huge success as a pop star yeah. it's so annoying when someone who's such a great pop star becomes yeah. such a great actress well, it, or actor. Is, it is frustrating it's and um, I think the thing that I loved about those two performances so much is they could very easily have just been background performances so um, Taraji P. Henson and Octavia Spencer do most of the heavy lifting in Hidden Figures but she does something completely different in Hidden Figures from what she does in Moonlight where she does kind of 
in Moonlight, she kind of slinks around the background in a lot of scenes, and she's there to provide a counterpoint to another character. In Hidden Figures, no, she just goes for it big time. She's like, okay, if you two guys are going to take the big emotional beats, I'm going to be the person with the charisma and the star power. And yeah, it's a it's a really charming and likable film. And um, I can't yeah. wait to see it. It's it's a it is a great award season. There's nothing in there at the moment. It, that is there anything like else a, we particularly should be looking out for? Uh, the the other thing, and it's it's probably only going to get any awards consideration in the US. I don't think it uh, it's not even released in time for BAFTA. So it comes out. Feb 24 in the UK is Patriots Day, which is Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg. And actually, a, an honourable mention in terms of films that I love this year yeah. would have been Deepwater Horizon. This is better. So this is the film about them, about the manhunt for the two bombers of the Boston Marathon. And it kind of has a who's who of blue-collar American uh, acting heroes. You've got Kevin Bacon, John Goodman, J.K. Simmons, Mark Wahlberg, and they're all there in their big Boston accents. And I love a Boston I accent. I love a Boston accent. It just makes me feel at home. Yeah. I don't know why. I've never even been to Boston. No, me I've been to Boston, Lincolnshire. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Very different place. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's thrilling and tense and really, really well done. Peter Berg, he's not always made great films, but he has, I think, always been a great filmmaker. Even, I mean, Battleship, which you could go back to and say, well, it's a disaster. It's the most handsomely shot, beautifully staged, and occasionally thrilling kind of mega flop uh, admit, of the last few years. I liked it as well. I quite liked it. And I loved the climax of the yeah. old guys carrying the missile down the, through, across down the ship. Um, I, if, I, th- I remember when they talked to us about that film, they were like, oh, we've got a film called Battleship. I was like, is it just people playing the game on screen? And they're like, no. And there is a scene Where of they that. Play it, and yeah. It, yeah, even that bit was quite. But he's a good. He is a good filmmaker. Deepwater Horizon was. Um, I thought found very affecting. Yeah, me too. And, me too. and uh, Wahlberg's. I think Lone Survivor's good. And that, yeah. this is their third film together. Yeah, Wahlberg yeah. and him. And, and so they're obviously a good creative team. There, there are fi- there are things Mark Wahlberg can't really do, but playing a kind of slightly conflicted, slightly compromised hero. Is something that he does as well as anybody else, and he's great in Patriots Day. I mean, I like. Uh, there's other things I really like. I love certain women. The Kelly Reichardt thing, which comes out in March. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be quite a small release, but it's a beautiful film. I like Mike Mills's 20th Century Women, which has got a great performance from Annette Benning in it. And Greta Gerwig. And Ge- Greta Gerwig's incredible in it as well. Yeah, probably her career best performance. I think. Uh, I like Lion. I thought Dev Patel was great in Lion. I'm glad to see. He's getting a lot of. I think that of, one could do quite well as well. Lion. Yeah, commercially, I think yeah, that's, commercially. A, that's potentially a big hit. And it, you know, it's a very affecting, very moving film. It's very sensitively done. Have you seen Hacksaw Ridge? I haven't. That's the only one I haven't seen. No, but I, haven't I hear seen it's. That one. I hear it's really good. And um, I'm a big Andrew Garfield fan. I like Andrew Garfield a lot. Um, it's great that he's kind of got a couple of films in the running this year. Because I liked, I liked Silence too. And actually, the the. One of the films in January that I like the most, which I think is probably just slightly outside the awards race, is Monster Calls. Oh yeah, goodness! I absolutely loved. And um, another devastating film. Yeah, yeah, literally destroyed me, destroyed me. And started talking about Felicity Jones being so great in Rogue One. She's just unbelievably good in Monster Calls. And and the little boy Lewis McDougall, he his performance is awards worthy. He won't get nominated, but he is. Genuinely a revelation. Yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's not. Um, I've seen some some reviews that suggest you know, oh, it's it's not very subtle. So we'll look down our noses on it. It's not trying to be subtle. It's a, it's a film which I think is designed to replicate the sledgehammer impact of what is the story it's telling. And when Antonio Bayona, who made it, did something very similar with The Impossible, which 
I didn't like as much as Monster Calls, but did similar. I found it similarly affecting. But this is just a a really really beautiful. There was a lot film. of ugly crying in the screening room. I was yeah, at. I th- I thankfully saw it with only three of my colleagues and uh, came out of it and was asked by the film's distributor what I thought. And so I so, was oh yeah yeah it was good. You know I managed to hold it together. And my good friend and colleague Sophie literally did the loudest, most derisory snort laugh I've ever heard. And then said, I, you, not only were you crying so loudly I could hear it, you shook the entire room. And I was like, okay, good to know, good to know. But yeah, it's, um, it's a good January for people who want the, that emotional release from films. Because a, a lion, well, the screen I saw lion in, had a lot of people in too. So Some very great. different kind of emotional response. That one's very heartwarming story um but yeah i think it's a great period of time to go and see thoughtful and there's plenty of sensitive films january and yeah, february try um, and see as many of them as you can yeah maybe. it's a good time to have an odian limitless card it definitely is i wasn't even going to mention it but it is a hundred percent a great time to have an odian limitless card so looking ahead to the rest of the year you mentioned earlier it is a good year for uh, for the blockbusters yeah. and i think there's a few blockbusters next year which uh would have been standouts in this year yeah i agree um I agree. Uh, m- most notably things like dunkirk Dunkirk, War, War yeah. for the Planet of the Apes, yeah. Blade Runner 2049, Alien, Alien Covenant. Covenant. And we should be getting a trailer for Alien Covenant next week, shouldn't we? Yeah, I think so. I think they were hoping at first they'd get the trailer ready for... Assassin's Creed, I thought. It would it, be they were hoping to get it, I think, for um, Star Wars, but I don't know if they could get a 12A trailer. So I think whatever the next big 15 cert film... Silence. I think Assassin's Creed's going to be a 12A. 12A, yeah. So they might get it for Silence. Um... I'm I'm really excited. Alien is the most recent film on my kind of mount, not not one of my top four films, but on my kind of pantheon of all time greats. Everything else has to kind of go through a twenty year cooling period before I can consider it. But Alien is like to me, it's the most perfect horror movie of all time. And when I heard Reed was doing another one, I thought Prometheus was fine, but it didn't really. It's almost like he wants to. Almost like he wants to correct what yeah. went wrong with Prometheus. With Alien. When it, when I heard him say to an audience of people that he was going to make a film that would scare the heck out of everybody, I've changed his language slightly. There, he was going to scare the heck out of everybody. I was like, okay, back in because he's only ever really made one horror film, and it's the greatest horror film I've ever seen. So, I'm very much on board with that. I think. Um, the greatest blockbuster franchise of all at the moment is the Fast and Furious one from my perspective. I've loved Fasts 4, 5, 6 and 7. I thought Fast 8 might be a step too far, but that trailer has got me fully back on board. They've got a submarine in it. They've got a submarine in it. Vin Diesel's turned into a baddie and they haven't even shown us the money shot, which is Helen Mirren doing something or other. Yeah, so what's she going to do? Who knows? So I am fully back in. She's driving the submarine. I think that's probably true, yeah. Maybe remotely, but I think that's what she's doing. And um, yeah, just any any film which has The Rock in a prison jumpsuit a jumpsuit telling Jason Statham he's going to beat him like a Cherokee drum has me fully on board. And the Fast and Furious fa- franchise gets bigger with each film. It Can does. you see this one getting even bigger than the last? No, we thought that it peaked on the last one, but now I think it's... I don't think it'll get bigger, but I think it can hold serve, as it were, because it just... I think they realised that, you know, in the UK anyway, it felt like Six should have been the peak because it was the one set in the UK. They introduced a slightly British cast. They had the... Jason Statham post credit scene. Then obviously the tragedy of Paul Walker meant that there was a lot more interest in number seven. And then I think probably everybody thought, well, 
it'll start to kind of taper off a little bit from that. They handled the Paul Walker situation so beautifully and so sensitively. It actually felt a little bit like the end of the franchise, even if they were going to carry on making other ones. But then they've thrown like a, a full spanner in the works of people who thought, maybe I don't need to see it, because I don't know anybody who doesn't want to know why Dom Toretto's gone bad. It's yeah. like, I read a great article um, on the internet by a writer called Shay Serrano, who writes for The Ringer, and it was like, the 10 most important questions after watching the Fast and Furious trailer. And they are, all of them were amazing. It's like, yeah, after it, I was thinking, yeah, I need to know. I need to know the answers to those. What else are you looking forward to? Uh, on a on a big scale, Guardians, Volume 2. Um, That's a big two weeks. They're two it weeks is, apart. It is. Um, you know, I love the first Guardians film. I'm a huge Chris Pratt fan. Um, I think he's incredibly charismatic and love to see him get to play kind of the space hopping version of his character from Parks and Recreation <laughs> is is like catnip to me but they've added a, an X Factor with Baby Groot who I've seen that trailer in the cinema three or four times now and on every occasion it's had like quite burly grown men around me going aww <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at, at the Baby Groot bit so I think that one uh, very much so feels like it's um, it's going to deliver something very special uh, I'm I am excited by Dunkirk. Um, I think the trailer's great. Christopher Nolan's an interesting filmmaker, and he's uh, well, he's a brilliant filmmaker, and he's established a, a sense of almost authorship despite doing very different things across his films. He's got a great cast in this one. Towards the end of next year, one film I'm really excited about, as I've already said, love a film on a train. So Murder on the Orient Express. Um, Kenneth Branagh. It's been a while since he's necessarily given film his full attention, but this year he's in Dunkirk, um, and he's obviously uh, directing and starring in Murder on the Orient Express, and he's put together just an incredible cast. Judy Dench, Judy J- Dent, Depp, Penelope Cruz, Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley. I mean, that's enough for me already at that point. There's a lot more um, to go, and uh, yeah, that one that feels like the kind of classy British prestige yeah pick. do you know what I mean like a bit a cross between Lady in the Van and Marigold Hotel yeah, yeah. with you know a little bit of upside beyond that in terms of the mystery so that would be another one that I'd really kind of look to be um, a real surprise and you know one of my most pleasant surprises in the last few years and I think probably everybody's was just how much audiences embraced Paddington Everybody's back to do Paddington 2. I think... Um, Brendan Gleeson's playing a character called Knuckles McGinty. Knuckles McGinty and Hugh Grant is playing a character that I think is based on a prominent politician without me being able to tell you who it is um, and is taking on kind of a uh, sneering bad guy role and he's coming off the back of the performance everyone thinks is one of his best ever in Florence Foster Jenkins. I love Hugh Grant, so... Yeah, Paddington 2, I think, is the family film in next year's big, market. Big finish to next year with yeah. um, Paddington 2, Justice League, yeah. Coco, Star Wars Episode yeah, 8, absolutely. which is... Star Wars Episode 8 is going to be the biggest film of the year. Yeah. Uh, Stinky Neck, what's going to be second? Beauty and the Beast, oh, which wow. is actually the other film I was going to talk about a little bit, because okay. my favourite Disney animation, I think, like traditional Disney animation, great cast again. Like the, and, you know, Emma Watson is... Not necessarily everybody's idea of Belle, but I think she's great casting. I think she brings a lot of um, kind of real-world integrity and um, authenticity to the role of somebody who's just overwhelmingly nice. That seems to be who she is as a person. So 
It's, um, it's good casting. And so do you think it's a fifty million pound film? Maybe more. Oh wow! Because yeah. obviously, Despicable Me three will probably get up close yeah, to that. I think so. Those two are the two we've got. Two and three. But I and think then we've got Guardians of the Galaxy. You would think. Yeah, Guardians and Fast, Paddington and would Fast probably Fast be in yeah. that next couple. Yeah, but Beauty got high hopes for that film. I think it's going to be very special. Good. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. Uh, thank you for joining me, Alex. No, thank you. Merry Christmas. Same to you, and Happy and, New Year. And I'll be back in the new year uh, when we'll be talking more about film, and I'll have loads of exciting guests. I'm not quite as exciting and as knowledgeable as Alex, but um, uh, you'll just have to wait and see who they are, <laughs> mainly because I don't know. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.